in a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars. One oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, and this show is for everybody who has an interest in HSE in the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. Joining me today is my deft co-host, Patrick Pister. <laughs> hey, Mark, how you doing? <laughs> Pretty good. Uh, at one point, I will run out of adjectives to describe <laughs> you, but not yet. We're actually sitting in the beautiful uh, Brio Tuscan Grill in City Center, Houston, Texas. One big shout out to John and Stacy for taking care of us here. They've been treating us really nice. They have been treating us really nice. And if you're in the Houston area and you want some authentic Italian cuisine with some of like the nicest people in the world-class service ever, go check them out. We'll put a link to the restaurant in the show notes. We, we, we're starting to record here more and more often. Yep. Yeah. And today we have a guest. We do. We've got Stephen Daniel of Active Shooter Defense. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Welcome aboard. And so there's a little backstory here. You know, with what's going on in current news, I thought this would be a relevant subject and something that Patrick and I don't have expertise around. And so I wanted to find the expert on what to do in an active shooting situation. And I reached out uh, through Houston Police Department's website and Stephen called me and it's like, that name sounds familiar. Stephen Daniels, Stephen Daniels. And so I Googled him and go, this is the expert <laughs> in the active shooting situation. So, man, we are so honored and so happy to have you here. Before we get into the show, let's talk a, bit, a little bit back your background. How did you even get into this world? Oh, well, this, this was a, a peculiar story. Back in uh, 2011, one of my functions with the Houston Police Department as a senior community liaison is being the liaison to the Jewish community. And anytime they have a terroristic threat, I get a call, I get involved, and get the guys going the right direction. So one of our SWAT team officers was doing an active shooter defense training at one of the synagogues. I thought, hey, that sounds pretty interesting. So I went to it, and it's like nothing has ever clicked for me like that did. And I started talking to uh, Sergeant Lee Lawrence, who's now retired, and I said, look, I know in SWAT you really don't have the time to do all that you need to do in this active shooter thing. He says, yeah. I said, look, maybe I can get my director in public affairs to allow me to work with you and I'll be your facilitator. I'll schedule your appointments. I'll go with you and I'll basically be there to support you. And he says, Hey, that sounds great. Long story short, it happened. I started going out with him and it started working out really good. Next thing I knew when he got to the Q and a, he would start roping me in and I would start answering questions, becoming quote, the expert and worked pretty good. And then in October that year, he kicked me out and he abandoned me like a, a poor child. And he took off with a bunch of his buddies, went to this place called Afghanistan <laughs> with the army Rangers to go over there and deal with that situation. I went to his lieutenant and says, you got to give me another SWAT officer. He says, man, you know, I'm really hard-pressed. I, I just don't have enough manpower. Long story short, he coordinated with my director. Next thing I know, guess who's doing this? Me. <laughs> so I uh, started out, did my first PowerPoint. Here's, here's your guy. It's you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I did my first PowerPoint presentation to the Heights Chamber of Commerce. I got through it okay because I do have a background in, in public speaking. So it, it went okay. 
And now, 11, uh, 1,153 trainings later, I almost know what I'm doing. <laughs> so that, that's kind of how we got into it. But I've been very fortunate through the resources of the Houston Police Department and the leadership of the department allowing me to do this and access the people that are really experts. And I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot from our department, from our SWAT team, especially Lieutenant Rick Besselman, who is terrific. He works with me quite uh, closely. I've also picked up some things from uh, the counterterrorism guys at New York uh, Police Department. I've been up there. So I've shared information with other law enforcement agencies. But basically, we're in a mode of we're trying to be the cutting edge, develop these tactics, these techniques, and communicate intelligently to our audiences because active shooting defense it's all about a mindset, and we can guide people and assist them in developing their own personal survival mindset. And, and thank the Lord, to date we've got four people that have come to us and acknowledge that the training played a substantial role in their survival when they fell victim to an active shooter. The most recent was a lady attorney that was at the concert in Las Vegas, and she acknowledged that the information played a significant role in her survival. So, you know, that, that kind of motivates us every day to get going. It's going to make you feel good about oh, you yeah, know, making absolutely. a difference. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of overrides that lack of a major bonus that the police department <laughs> fails to give me every year. Yeah, I mean, literally heart-touching, right? You help save somebody's life. So let's just jump into it, Stephen. If you find yourself in an active situation, kind of guide us through how you should think about what you're doing. Okay. Well, most people have probably heard the mantra of run. Well, I, hold on. I, don't, I don't want to interrupt, but let's back up. How do you, let's okay. start with identifying that you're in an active shooter situation because you hear loud noises, could be firecracker. We talked a little bit about the miscommunication that goes mm-hmm. on at the beginning. So I, I just wanted to back up and start okay. identifying that you're in a situation before you even get into what you do next. All right. Nowadays, I'm telling people, if you're in any public venue and you hear noises, they are not fireworks. Because I've heard a number of survivors from active shooting events say, well, first thing, I thought it was fireworks. Ladies and gentlemen, in this environment, if you hear a noise, it is not a firecracker. Today, you must treat it as a gunshot until proven otherwise. All you're doing when you say that, oh, it's a firecracker, you're going into denial. You're denying that somebody is out there possibly actually shooting and perhaps even killing human beings. And that denial costs you 5, 10, 15, 20 seconds that you need to be running and getting out of there to save your life, to put the distance between you and the shooter. Yeah, I think that's a good starting point. Yeah, just don't. And we do it all the time. Oh, that was nothing. You know, car alarms are a good example. Mm-hmm. You know, when they first came out, everybody was, oh, you know, somebody's getting broken into. Now you just, you don't pay much mind. I think that's a good, sure. good advice that, yeah, if you hear something that sounds like fireworks, assume it's not first. Assume it's gunshots. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, and that time that saves has to be critical for what you do next. I mean, the extra mm-hmm. 10 or 15 seconds in that situation. Can oh, make it a makes big all the difference. difference in the world. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't want to der- derail you. I just wanted to get to the yeah, point no, where that, you've identified you're in a situation. Yeah, sure. And then, all right, now you, you've identified this is a situation where I have an active shooter and next steps. Okay. Well, first thing, if you can put as much distance, if you can run, that's what you want to do. You want to put that distance between you and the shooter. That is critical. But in a lot of cases, that's not really feasible. So if you can't run, the next thing you want to do is hide. You want to find some room, closet, whatever that you can go in, and hopefully you can secure the door. Because here's the the little secret. 
if you can get in a room and secure the door one way or the other, you know, lock it, barricade it, whatever you do, that shooter realizes most likely he's got a six-minute window of opportunity to shoot and kill as many people as possible. And so here's my theory. He comes up to the door. You're hiding behind. You've secured it somehow. He meets resistance. Do you really think he's going to spend a great deal of time trying to defeat that door to get in to kill you? Or is he going to move down the way looking for that person running around without any plan, without any resources, and he takes an easy kill shot on that person? I propose you get in a room, secure the door. Somehow, you most likely are home free and safe. Yeah. And then, so I guess what we're going to do is just kind of go through high level. So we talked about run, we talked about hide. What would be the next or final step? Well, obviously, the, the last one is fight. If somehow he can get through that door and get into your hideout, then you got to fight like you never have before. You got to go for him. In my training, I actually show some videos. There's one out there, and I'll give him credit because the guy's done a great job. Former Israeli commando, Alan Stevie. You can find it on YouTube. And he shows a college class how to take down an active shooter if he can get through the door into the classroom. And it's quite effective. So that's something people need to think about is if you have to fight, you got to fight with aggression. Yeah. But, but you mentioned current teachings that you've seen when these students are being taught to fight, throwing books and tennis balls and things at them. And, and so what have you seen out there that's being taught that needs to not be taught or you need more education? On well, that? One, one thing I, I see sometimes they're talking about distracting the shooter and having the student stand up and throw books or whatever at the shooter. To me, frankly, that doesn't make sense because when they stand up, number one, they're making themselves targets. Where they need to be is if you have a door to a classroom, the wall that that door is in, to the opposite side of the door is the corner that those students need to be in because that is the last place that he's going to look. And to move around right in front of that door and throw objects at him, simply they're making themselves target. And candidly, a guy with a, at least a semi-automatic weapon you're throwing things, he's going to just start firing blankly. And if you have 15, 20 kids standing over there throwing books, I'm afraid he's going to seriously injure a lot of those students. So I really don't see that that is the right approach. The kids need to be over in the corner. Now, some people will say, oh, you cluster them all together. It's easy to shoot. Well, that's true. But if they're out of the way, then they're going to miss the original shots. And hopefully you have teachers or students at the door to tackle the guy, get him on the ground where he can't point and shoot. And that's exactly what Mr. Stevie's video demonstrates. Yeah, so we talked about run, hide, and fight. I want to go back to run. Mm -hmm. So it's a little game I play with my son since he's been five years old. Whenever we go in a new place, I go, how many exits? Because I want him to start counting exits and be aware of it. Mm -hmm. Many people, and Patrick, you were talking about this just a little while ago. Many people, when they walk into a, a room or something, they don't even think that way. So, you know, you have to be aware of your surroundings when you go to run. I, I'm, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Situational awareness is the number one defensive tool that we all possess if we choose to employ it. And in my training, I talk about that. I say, hey, you know, you go into a restaurant, first thing you do, exit, exit. Where are the exits? And then I do point out, if the hostess wants to sit you right by the front door, you very politely say, no, thank you. That's where the people are going to die. <laughs> <laughs>
And, okay. and it is, quite frankly. So, you know, you, you, you just got to get the, the old adage, you got to get your head in the game. And that's what we're talking about, because this is not complicated. This is something that anybody is capable mentally of processing and developing a survival mindset. If they simply contemplate these situations ahead of time and in the middle of the crisis is not the time to start thinking about, well, gee, what should I do? That's too late. Right. So another thing, and it's human nature is a lot of times in these type of situations, because you're, you, you're not, you're not in the life of death situation very often, you do stuff that doesn't make sense. So in the, in the running away part of this, you know, how many people want to grab their purse or their wallets or their laptop or whatever? And that, that goes, no, you run, right? Or, oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I think you stole my PowerPoint. There. <laughs> <laughs> but but here, here's the thing I tell them. Look, in any life-threatening situation, I don't care if it's a fire, a terrorist attack, an accident, whatever threatens your life, stuff does not matter. Because in the moment, you never know when literally one half of a second may determine whether you live or die. Leave your stuff behind. You can get it later. You can replace it. We cannot replace you. Yeah. So anything else maybe we want to go a little bit deeper on as far as the getting away? Because I think the key here probably is the distance. The more distance you put between yourself and the bad guy, the better odds of survival you have. Well. Yeah, sorry. I, I wanted to ask because you brought up the the Vegas shooting, and you mm-hmm. had some somebody. One of your students had had been there. A story that I heard that they weren't sure where the shots were coming from. So when you talk about running, my first thought is, where do you run to? Because that was oh, that was that point. was an open field. They didn't really have a lot of idea where the shooting was coming from. So when you're not sure where the shots are coming from, where are you? Where do you want them to run to? Well, I, I chuckle because the the one place of refuge that seems, from what I understand. Uh, more people sought out than any place else was the beer trucks. And I, and I don't know if that was because of the product in there or just the proximity of shelter, but nonetheless, they did. And that's the thing I, I talk about now in my presentations. When you go to any public venue, you need to think about where you're at. You need to think about your avenues of escape. You need to think about, hey, if those are blocked, what can I take cover behind? Remembering that cover stops bullets. And that is what's really critical. You know, Las Vegas, that that was a really tough situation because he was high up. He was a long ways away. And I don't think most people realize how far away he was. So it was really challenging to determine where the shots were coming from at that point. But when something like that happens, best thing is get to cover and lay down. Uh, so run doesn't just mean run away from the shots. Run means if you have to run towards cover. Yes. And then, you know, before we get out of the running part, is there any other, you know, things that uh, tips or anything people may want to think of when they're trying to flee in an active shooter situation? I know we don't want to grab our laptops, grab our wallets. We want to move at a distance, but any, any other tips? Well, I, I get people sometimes say, should I zigzag? Well, you know, that, that looks pretty cool in the movies, but frankly, if your adrenaline's pumping, I think you're just going to run, run as fast as you can, get out. Well, you're probably already zigzagging. You're not running in a straight line. <laughs> yeah, you're just and, and, flailing and, around. And, and here's the thing, too. Keep this in mind. I tell my audiences all the time, your job's not to be a hero. It's not. I'm sorry. You got a single focus, and that focus is go home alive to your family. So it's about you getting out, not sitting there trying to persuade somebody frozen with fear to come out for their own safety and get yourself shot and killed in the process. Now, there is an exception to that. If you have care and custody of one of three categories of people, children, medically infirmed, or elderly, that's a different ball game. And if you find yourself in that situation, you need to seriously contemplate that and figure out, 
how am I going to modify my approach to fulfill whatever responsibility I have towards those people and at the same time save my life? Yeah. Yeah. That's so before I even knew that we we're going to have you on the show, this is something we've been doing with my son for a very long time because when he was a baby, you could just grab him and run, right? As he's gotten bigger, that's not always an option in our home, right? So it may be that we don't run. Mm-hmm. So yeah, good stuff. All right, now let's move over to the hide part because this is the part that I think some people, some trainers do really well and some trainers don't. What's the purpose of hiding? So the, the shooter doesn't see you, right? The bad guy doesn't oh, see yeah. you. yeah. I mean, let's, let's face it. When you get to the hide option, your evacuating options don't exist. And so you want to look for any room cover that you can take so if run's still an option that is oh yeah if, if you can run you you run right but you know if you're at the end of a hallway or you have to go down a hallway and he's in that hallway probably that's not the smartest idea you want to just take cover and hide but you want to find whatever kind of room it is get in there and if at all possible secure the door either lock it barricade it whatever you can do and then once you do that, get in the far remove parts of that room so that if he starts shooting through the door, you're not standing behind the door holding the door and you get shot. That wouldn't be very good. So that's what you want to think about. But here's the thing I tell my audiences. Active shooters obviously pretty mentally challenged, okay? But they do have what I call an operational intelligence. And that tells them, hey, I got about a six-minute window of opportunity to shoot and kill as many people as I can. So here's my theory. You get behind a door. You secure it one way or the other. He comes up. He meets resistance. I don't think he's really going to spend a lot of time trying to defeat that door to get in to kill you. He most likely is going to move on down the way and look for somebody running helter-skelter with no survival mindset. And he's going to take an easy kill shot on that person. So most likely get in, secure the door, get to the far removed parts of that room you're probably home free. And let's say you're in some place where there's not a room, like an outdoor venue, right? Mm-hmm. How do you think about hiding then? Well, you need to find something that you can take cover behind, you know, and flat on the ground is always your best bet when one of these things are developing. Make yourself as least as small a target, as, possible, as small yeah. a target. Yeah, just get small and stay down. And then what about things like um, getting behind stuff that may not be bullet resistant but keep somebody from seeing you i mean that also has to play a part too well it can that's that's your last resort i mean and and keep this in mind too we think a car is big heavy metal objects but let me tell you uh, a bullet will go inside one car in the door of a car and come out the other side and if you're in between it's going to go through you too so here's the thing if you're going to take cover behind a car the place to be is in line with the engine block. Oh, that makes sense. Laying, yeah. laying down on the ground in line with the front wheels if it's a you know engine up front type car. And that Which maybe in, isn't your first thought because that's not the biggest part of the car. But yeah, it's, right, it's, it's exactly. Most but that that iron engine block will stop a bullet. You know, you get back by the back quarter panel, it's going to go through the trunk and come out and hit you. So think about those things. All right, now let's go to the final, the fight thing. This isn't about being the tough guy, right? This is about survival. This is about using your brain. This is about making intelligent decisions. And the idea, if he can get through the door, then you're right there. The second he comes through the door to pounce upon him, hopefully there's at least two of you to defend. But the first person, they must grab the weapon with both hands and then let their weight take him to the ground. Get to the ground where he cannot point and shoot. 
and hopefully there's a second person then that can pounce on him, inflict some severe injuries. Maybe you got a pair of scissors you can put in his back or whatever. But the other thing I suggest for the number two person, look around the room ahead of time, see if you can find the trash can, take the plastic bag out of it. You get him on the ground, put that plastic bag over his head. You cut off his air, the fight's over. Yep. There's something called a weapon of opportunity. And so you'd be surprised just Look around, like this room right here. Every one of these wooden chairs, one hell of a, a weapon of opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Anything that can inflict injury, mm -hmm. grab it and use it. But bl yeah, blunt objects. I think the obvious choice of plastic black bag. I would, I would have, have never thought of that either. Yeah. Thought if you're if you've got yeah. When is the fight over? When he stops his aggressive action. All right. So I mean, I, I, yeah, I didn't want to. I mean, like, how do you identify that? Because you know, we didn't go into that situation to kill somebody, but we are in a fight for our lives. As a person in that situation, how, when would you recommend somebody acknowledge that the fight is over and well, that they can? Let, let, let me put it this way. Sometimes I get people ask me, do you shoot to kill? No. Police officers, we're trained, they are trained, and I'm a civilian staff, by the way. Let's get that clear. But the officers are trained to shoot to stop. Yep. Stop the violent action that, you know, if in the process the person dies, so be it. But, they're not, their motive is not to kill somebody. Their motive is to stop the aggressive violence. And that's what your object ought to be as an individual in this. You're not out to kill the guy, right. but you darn sure want to stop his violent actions. And if he dies in the process, remember, he's the one that chose this action, not you. Yeah, that, that's what I was getting at, you know, that it, identifying that, yeah, you're, you're there to stop the, the violent action. And if death is a consequence of that so be it but but make sure that aggression is stopped right and will not continue. And, and, and come back can't, can't yeah. pick it back up exactly yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. all right so this i think is great so you know well mark here's one more thing i just thought of all right say you put the plastic bag over his head and he passes out he's not dead he passes out that's your opportunity then if the police aren't already there to restrain him Grab a computer cable, grab a rope, whatever you can get. Tie his hands behind him. In fact, if you can hog time, tie his hands, his feet together, and tie them together, you know, hog time where he can't move, that's a good idea too. And then he comes back around, you got him under control. Yeah. All right. So that's great. Patrick, did you ever tell you a story about the guy who had a zip tie in my front yard? Yes. Actually, <laughs> yeah. but we're not going down that story, but <laughs> zip ties work well too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. So we talked about run, talked about hide, talked about fight. Now, here's another part. If you're in a, a situation such as a school or an office building and, and you just went through an active situ shooter situation and you have the first line of law enforcement depend upon show up on the scene, because we, we talked about this just a little bit, that first responder's job is not to help with the wounded or not to be thanked. Their job is to take the bad guy down. Absolutely. And again, in my training, that's what I tell you is, hey, you know, say you're laying in the lobby, you got a bleeder, you've been shot, you got three and a half to five minutes before you bleed out and you die, officer walks in, he'll walk right past you. And that's the way they're trained. Officer gets shot and drops in the hall, that's where we leave him. Officers are trained. You do not stop for anything or anybody until you take the shooter down because he's going to continue to kill people. So we, we train the officers in self-aid. A lot of them carry combat tourniquets with them. And I tell civilians, hey, you know, most likely you're not going to have a combat tourniquet with you. So look around, find a computer cable, a necktie, a scarf, whatever you can. But you're going to have to tend to yourself 
and keep yourself from bleeding out in those kind of situations. Stick your thumb in the bullet hole. I mean, literally, if you have to do yeah. something, stick your thumb in the bullet hole. All right. So let's say you're a listener to this podcast and God hope this never happens, but let's say you find yourself in a situation. The first responders show up as the civilian that is one of the, the potential victims of this. What do I do and what do I not do? And that first level of law enforcement shows up on site. Well, we always say, put your hands up, spread your fingers. But now my lieutenant over SWAT, he's saying, you know, why are you talking to them? Why don't you just suggest they lay down on the ground and stretch out, you know, with the arms out, fingers spread? Because that way, one, if bullets are still whizzing around, that's about as safe as you're going to get. But that clearly communicates to the officers arriving, you're not a threat. And they can move to wherever the threat is if it hasn't been neutralized at that point. Because I would think that the other risk you run into is these officers are trained, right? Yep. They're in a heightened state of readiness because mm-hmm. they're on site. There's live rounds going off. If you do something silly like go to thank them or hug them, they, may, they from a self-defense point of view, they may not know what's going on. Exactly. I mean, you don't want to do anything that can trigger their response because, I mean, they're human beings. They have adrenaline flowing through their body. They know when they walk in the front door of that building at that very moment, they have a 47% chance of getting shot or killed. You think that doesn't get the adrenaline going? I didn't realize it was that big a number. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. All right. So you're in the situation of civilian. First responders get there. They take down the bad guy. What do you do next? Okay. Then you certainly want to attend to any wounded. I mean, if the officers are there and they're in control of the situation and they realize you're not a threat, then you certainly want to render aid to anybody that that you can. Because in a mass casualty situation like Las Vegas, there's no way you're going to have enough first responders there to deal with everybody. I tell in my course, hey, you know, you have to now be the first responder. I heard an interview with a trauma doctor from Vegas. He said, look, you get somebody on my table in five minutes and I don't care what it is. Industrial accident, car wreck, gunshot, massive loss of blood, five minutes. Nobody's attended to that loss of blood. Most likely they're going to die on my table. So it's incumbent on every one of us these days to know how to render first aid to gunshots. Simply how to put a tourniquet on a limb, how to put pressure on a wound that you can't get a tourniquet on, how to take a candy wrapper, slap on and hold a sucking chest wound. Very simple, basic things, but so absolutely critical to the survival of somebody in that situation. Yeah, and Patrick, you know this, but Audie doesn't know this. Somewhere in the future, you and I are actually taking an active shooter first aid course. Well, and I recommend, and you know, with, with all the shooting that are going on and there's the gun debate and I have a lot, a lot of friends that also have their concealed carry. And I say, if you're going to take that training to, to carry a weapon, you should go a step further and take some form of first aid. To I, I took it a month ago. Yeah. And yeah, and, a month ago, it was excellent. There was a trauma doctor that came from Georgia that had been over in theater and he was excellent. And he had two guys that had been in theater. One was a special force Green Beret. Another was a, a Navy medic that had been embedded with Marines. These guys had been out there. They'd done it. And it was really good. It was totally no nonsense. Absolutely. Here's what you do. And they also dispelled some interesting myths. You may have heard this. A lot of people have. Oh, what do you do? You carry a Tampax. You got a gunshot wound. You stick it in there. The doctor said, well, you know, that sounded good, but we did some research and we found that most 
bullets will enter small, but then they'll cavitate inside right. and create basically a big cavern inside. And there's no way that that Tampax is going to swell up and deal with that. So your best bet, he said, is just put direct pressure on it. Yeah. I actually have never heard that, but I can see how something that simple would make sense to people that weren't trained properly. All right. So you do this and you do this within the city of Houston and you do it for free. You offer these classes, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But you're willing to jump on a plane and jet anywhere in the world. Yep. Pretty much. Yeah. I, the department approves of me working on the side as a consultant and, you know, a number of Houston corporations in particular, they sent me to different places in the States, but, uh, you know, we're, developing to the point now that i probably need to call my friends over at the passport office who i've trained you know to say can we expedite this and get my passport back up to date because right. i got a feeling one of these days i'm gonna get a call and say hey let's let's go to timbuktu and it's like okay. well I, w- I was impressed he said he was he goes and consults for the los angeles police department mm-hmm. and growing up the that uh in 1997 the big bank robbery right with the, the the guys had full body armor fully automatic weapons mm-hmm. and the police force had their sidearms and just about nothing else. They ended up going to the local gun store and buying weapons to take the take the bad guys down. So I, you know, in my mind, the L.A. Police Department and those municipalities are they understand active shooting situations better than anybody. Oh yeah, in but, fact, but they've called you in and yeah, uh, and here in Houston, Texas, we acknowledge that because I'm told that right now we have approximately 1,400 officers that are certified through training that we have conducted to carry assault rifles and the patrol cars going up and down the streets. So. Things have changed significantly in law enforcement since that day and age. Right. So, Stephen, we're, we're getting close to winding down the show. Let me back up, Mark, because we talked about something at lunch that I think that it enters people's mind, and we didn't talk about here, the, uh, the conflicting information. If you're in a situation where you need to, to hunker down and, and barricade the door, but a fire alarm is going off, if you, you, you're trained to get out of the building. How do you recommend people deal with that conflicting information, whether they know that it's a shooter and then it's a fire alarm or it's a fire alarm and then you hear shots. If the fire alarm's going off and you hear shots, negate the fire alarm. I mean, obviously, it's not a fire at that point. And there is some new technology that's coming out that can pinpoint where uh, shots are coming from, even the caliber shot. And I'm hoping that those people that develop that technically are going to put in a mechanism that if they have a fire alarm going off and the system detects a shot, it automatically shuts down the fire alarm. To me, that would make great sense. But from a, a individual standpoint, if you don't smell smoke, you don't see flames, and you're hearing gunshots, yeah. hey, they're just luring you out into the open area so you can become their next victim. You don't want yeah, to do that. And thinking about it logically, I could come to that conclusion. But I can imagine being in that situation. We're all trained. You hear a fire alarm. You make your way to the exits. Sure. So even like Mark was talking about identifying the exits, it's actually knowing when you can and can't use those exits, not right. just knowing where they are. So yeah, yeah, having you say that, that, yeah, if there's... If you hear gunshots, if there's an active shooter, that fire alarm is probably not. Let me make one very important statement, and that is what I teach or what we believe to be best practices in a violent situation with an active shooter. And a lot of organizations will write policies and procedures, i.e. schools locking down, and normally that is the best approach. But people, you must understand, nothing overrides the critical thinking of an intelligent person, especially one that has prepared through visualization to create their survival mindset. Nothing overrides their critical thinking in the moment at the time, i.e., 
Sandy Hook, I understand. There were two teachers that said, no, we're not going to lock down. We're going to the fire station. Come on, kids. And they ran up there. And not a child in either one of those two classes was injured at all, is my understanding. And that's an example of critical thinking that really paid off. Yeah. So I want to come, we're going to circle back around because this has been such an interesting show, but I want to do the Red Wing Safety Tip of the Week and then I want to come back to the active visualization. So Stephen, do you have a, a Red Wing Safety Tip of the Week for our audience? Oh, I, I knew you were going to ask that. Yeah, you did because I told you. You know, <laughs> uh, you know the, the biggest safety tip, and this carries beyond active shooting, is situational awareness. Stay alert to what you're doing. You know, you got that smartphone you're addicted to. Don't you go walking through the mall, you know, locked to that phone. You know, you know what's going on in uh, South Africa. You know what's going on in Canada. You know what's going on all across the country and the sporting events this weekend. But you don't have a clue what's happening 10, 15 feet around you. Please, folks. You know, it's great to get on those phones and to text etc etc but do it in a safe secure way don't expose yourself i work in downtown houston and i see at least once a week someone locked to their phone walking out into traffic against the light about to get themselves killed because they're oblivious to what the real world is doing around them. You know, that's a great safety tip. I can't believe nobody's ever brought that up on the show, but it's so true. Yeah. And just walking in the parking garage, it's not an active shooter situation, but you, if there is somebody that's going to rob you and you're just staring down your phone, oh yeah, you're an easy target. Hey, same thing, you know, all these perverts out there that want (laughs) to rape and and molest you or whatever, kidnap you, you know, don't give these people an opportunity. Keep that perimeter of safety around you. Yeah. All right, Stephen, you saw the Red Wing bag when we walked in the door? Yep. That's the Red Wing offshore bag. It has become a cult item. People want them so badly, and there's only one way to get it. Actually, two ways. <laughs> to me, what show you listen to. This is the best way to get it. That's right. Yeah. So all you do is go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Put your information in there, and we give away one bag a week. No purchase necessary. See official site for rules and details. Steven, okay. you, you can win one too. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, let, let, let me put one more bit. If I can do a little plug for my consulting service. We're getting there. Okay. <laughs> no, no, go ahead and do your, you, you know, let you plug it. All right. Anybody that would like to discuss this with me or have me come do a training for your company, call me 713-206-3178. My cell phone. I answer that pretty much 24-7. He does. I, I'd prefer <laughs> you not to call me at two in the morning unless you're <laughs> totally drunk and can't help yourself. But uh, that that's one way to get in touch with me. Now and, the drunks uh, are going to call. Yeah. <laughs> now, but you also have a website. Yes, I do. And yep. the website's www.activeshooter-defense.com. We'll put a link in the show notes so yep, people can absolutely. just click on it. Okay, thanks. All right, so I was going to give you a plug, but you did a better job yourself. So we got your website. We got your phone number out there. You're willing to, to you know, you have boots, will travel. Yep. Events, Patrick. If people want to find about any of our events, it's really easy. I got a newsletter. Patrick put a link in the show notes. You can sign up for free. We're going to be at OTC coming up in April. We are. That one's coming up. And we have quite a few coming up. The uh, BPMS 150, beginning of April. Machine Learning in Oil and Gas, April 18th and 19th here in Houston. There are a few overseas ones that I don't think we're going to get to. LNG 2019. Maybe in China, maybe, maybe. maybe. But you can go to the show notes and check out all our events. Links will take you right there to the registration page. You can, you can sign up. And if you want to support the show, and why would you not want to support the show? Leave us a review. It takes all of three minutes. Just go do it. If you give us reviews, I won't ask you to give them to me anymore. Just give me some reviews. Get your friends to do it. Make them do it. Hey, Mark, let me tell you one more thing. Yes, sir. Hey, here, here's the deal. You guys, thanks for what you're doing. Because the secret, forget all the bureaucracy, all the great political solutions our politicians are coming up with 
what we're doing right now, educating people, is what saves lives. And you guys have just helped save some lives because you've got the word out there. And because of this broadcast, there are going to be people that get educated that will have the knowledge to save their lives. So you're part of that life-saving change. Thanks, both of you guys. Uh, you're, you're welcome. Thanks for that. Yeah, and it, was, and it was all your information, but I'm glad we have a vehicle to, to get it out there. Yeah, and Patrick and I, this is a passion project for us. We, it's a business, but it's, we do this because our hearts are in it in the right place. Yep. All right, Patrick, ready to get out of here? Yeah, let's do it. All right, folks, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Y'all be safe out there. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil and Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Global Oil and Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston to London to Dubai and beyond. All right, Stephen, what's okay. the craziest thing you've ever seen in the field? People walking across the street <laughs> looking at their cell phone and into the middle of traffic. Yeah, I have to agree. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>